This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Heva, and uh, I'm tired and stressed today. Um, <laughs> I don't know why the intro is performed <laughs> with this cadence where I have to have something that I'm saying after my name. Like, And for a while, leading up to the 100th episode, it was really nice because I would count down every episode number until the 100th episode. And I think maybe that's where it's like it really stuck. And now I'm so used to doing it that I can't do it another way. And now I really have nothing to say right after my name. And so I'm stuck saying weird shit, like I'm tired and stressed, but I am tired and stressed. I leave for Australia in one week and I feel like I've done nothing to prepare. Nothing. First of all, you have to do some immigration stuff to enter the country. And here's the thing. I remember last year I got my visa. Now it's not like a real visa. Like you do it online. It's like an electronic travel something. I don't fucking know. Authority. Authority. That's what it is. ETA. And you download an app. You fill out some stuff. You scan your passport. You also like scan your passport for a microchip and you just do it from your cell phone. And it's fascinating that your cell phone can read this chip that's inside the cover of your passport. So interesting. Anyway, um, I remember doing that last year, but then I remember kind of last second realizing that there was a second thing that I needed to do. And and it wasn't like readily available to me. And I was like, oh, well, thank God I figured this out and I did it. And so this year I did the ETA over the weekend, but I don't know what the second thing is that I'm supposed to do. And I keep Googling and I can't find it. And I've looked at the Qantas stuff. Qantas is the airline because that's where I found it last year and I can't find it. And I'm really terrified that I'm missing something. I also just realized that my layover in Dallas to Sydney is, or <laughs> that doesn't make sense. My layover in Dallas, so I go New York to Dallas and then Dallas to Sydney. My layover in Dallas is one hour. It, In fact, I think it might be 58 minutes to be very specific. And I'm starting to really fucking stress that I'm going to miss it. And then, you know, I was just on FaceTime with Ozzy and he was like, well, if you miss it, you miss it. Right. And I was like, true, true. That is true. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I'm really stressed. I have to do laundry. I have to pack. It feels like I have a million doctor's appointments. I have like fucking work stuff I need to do. My dentist is missing again, just straight missing. I just have a fucking hole inside of my tooth. I have a hole inside of my tooth that is not being repaired because this woman, I don't know, is in bed with the mob. I don't know what the fuck is going on. But the if I don't hear from her by the time I come back from Australia, I'm going to reach out to my original dentist and be like, hey, you need to refer me to someone else who doesn't just go missing constantly because there is something wrong with this woman. And frankly, I think she's in bed with the mob. Anyway... <laughs> 
I'm stressed about like Sam stuff, even though I have someone lined up to watch her, but like I need to get a refill of her meds. It just feels like so much shit that I need to do. And frankly, frankly, the most stressful one is I have not shaved my pubic hair in a very, very long time. And it is very, very, very long, like very long. Like I didn't know pubic hair could get so long, kind of long, like, like, it's should I start donating it to Locks of Love because we're about to be there. And I don't really know how to go about shaving it when it's this long. In fact, I think I'm going to have to trim it with scissors and then go in with the razor because it's too long. It's too long. Like, I don't really know what to say. It would be like trying to shave like the hair on my head with a razor. Even that I think would be easier. Like it's, it's too much. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if locks of love takes pubic hair. If anyone knows, let me know, because I think it could make for a really stunning wig. It's very coarse, thick hair, which is what everyone wants. It's kind of like a Brillo pad. Okay. Moving right along. Um, something I've been doing a lot lately and just want to share with you guys is I've been making myself fresh ginger tea. And when I tell you, like, it feels good to me on like a cellular level, like every cell in my body really lights the fuck up when I make this. Um, so some of the benefits of ginger are increased serotonin and dopamine, which like, who doesn't want that? That's like the shit that makes you happy. Um, also, when I was jotting this down into my outline, I wrote serotonin. And I just want to say, I believe I spelled it correctly, um, although maybe I didn't. Hold on. I can tell you in one second if I did or did not. No, I did not spell it correctly. So that's why this happened. I spelled it S-E-R-E-T-O-N-I-N. It's actually spelled S-E-R-O-T-O-N-I-N, whatever. Close enough. Like, you should know what the fuck I'm talking about. And it was one of those where... Um, autocorrect changed it at the very last second. Do you know what I mean? Like you're already gone. Like you press enter and then autocorrect like sneak attack changes it on you. And it changed it to sweet onion, which like, I'm so sorry, but what I wrote was so much more similar to serotonin than it was to sweet fucking onion. But sure, whatever, go off autocorrect. But this really pisses me off because when autocorrect, autocorrect something that you wrote, into two words, then if you hit the backspace, you don't even get the option of what you originally wrote to go back to. It's just giving you options for that second word. Whereas if it autocorrects it to something and it stays at one word, if you backspace, then you'll get the option of what you originally wrote. So I just wanted to um, complain about that for a little bit because I don't get a lot of forums where I get to complain about that specific thing that autocorrect does. And I think we all are just suffering in silence. And I think sometimes just verbalizing things that you're suffering about really makes it better. Okay, going right back to ginger. It reduces inflammation. Um, they're, they're conducting studies right now to help us determine if eating ginger has any impact on conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, good God, and res or respiratory inflammation. I believe it's also being studied for things like Alzheimer's. Um, there's some evidence that suggests it could actually be really helpful for depression, which um, does seem to be very highly linked to inflammation. It's crazy how much 
inflammation affects things that you would never like I would never think that depression and inflammation are linked but they are even um during COVID we noticed that the number one determinant of how badly COVID was affecting people wasn't age wasn't various things it was actually just inflammation just pure run-of-the-mill inflammation um Moving right along. I also have a lot of saliva today. Have you ever had this where you have like, it's it's making it a professional hazard because I'm taking these pauses. Like if you're hearing momentary pauses, it's because I'm stopping to swallow the massive swimming pool of saliva that has been formed inside of my mouth. It's not fun. I'm, I'm not having a good day. Okay. Anyway, um, ginger also helps with nausea, motion sickness, bloating and gas. It, it's rich in antioxidants. It's just like, it's really fucking good for you. Like in every single way. And it's just like, I don't know, maybe it's because my body really needs it right now, but it just feels so nourishing. So here's what I do. I buy fresh ginger in bulk when I see it at the farmer's market. I like to get like younger ginger when it's available, but at any stage of maturity is fine. It's just when I can get that fresh, fresh, early, young, little bibbe ginger when it's just, you know, I was going to say coming out of the ground, but that's not what it does because it's a root vegetable. So it stays underground. But, you know, those early young ginger days, just really balenciaga it. Okay. Wow. Should I maybe remove that? No, I'm going to leave it in, but like that might be what gets me canceled. Uh, moving right along. <laughs> so I got my ginger. By the way, I'm not laughing at child abuse. I'm laughing at myself. Um, <laughs> I like to get the ginger. It's easier if you're going to peel it first. But if you're a lazy cunt like me, just like really, really wash the crevices. Like you have to wash it because it's going to be covered in dirt because it comes from under the ground. But like you really want to get inside all of the crevices and get all of the dirt out of the crevices because that's where they get stuck or just like fucking peel it first, like take two minutes and make your life easier in the long run. But I can't tell you to do what I am not willing to do myself. And then I put it in the freezer. It freezes really well. It stays frozen really long. And it's a lot easier to grate when it's frozen. So then I take it out of the freezer. I take like a kind of big knob, like a half palm sized, I would say, for like a small saucepan. So I have to like leave it on the counter for a couple minutes to be able to peel it. And then um, I grate it while it's frozen. It grates really nicely while it's frozen into the saucepan, pour water on the top, you know, put it on on like medium low heat. Um, I leave it until it's like bubbling over, like it's a rolling boil to the point where it's like bubbling over. Then I turn it off and I let it steep for another 20. And then I just put a little fine mesh strainer or a sieve, sieve, it's not pronounced sieve as I previously thought and some of you wrote in to me and helped me out and now I love saying that word because it's like look at this fancy bougie bitch like she knows how to pronounce the word sieve it rhymes with shiv um, anyway like you know a shiv if you're in a prison yard or if you watch succession um which I do find fascinating that her nickname is that okay anyway um yeah this is something I've been doing I've really been enjoying it um I really <laughs> I don't know what that sound was. It was something in between um and something else. Anyway, if you do it and you like it, 
I don't know if I can tag me in your stories or something. Um, it really is like very good for you. And if you're like dealing with any sort of digestive stuff like bloating, gas, et cetera, it's just an absolute godsend. But even if you're not like so many benefits to ginger, it's also really antimicrobial. It's like good for your cells. Um, you know, you get the drift. Okay, I want to talk about astrology for a bit. Now, I kind of teased this, mentioned this in last episode, but um, I didn't really get to it because I yap, yap, yapped about so much other shit, so I decided to skip it, so we're going to touch on it today. I have noticed this trend lately. I don't think it's a new thing, but it's just suddenly becoming super aware to me because it's just a few things happened in a row where I noticed it of like people using astrology as a cop out. So I'll give you the first example of a time where I was like, wow, this is so problematic, but I didn't speak up because it's hard. Okay. So it happened at a Showfields event. And when I'm doing those Showfields events, like when I'm giving a live talk and people are contributing in some kind of way, it's really hard for me to balance wanting to give like truly authentic advice and also balancing people's like privacy, you know, like when you write into the podcast and ask a question and I answer that question on the podcast, no one knows who asked that question. So I can be as tough love as I want. I can be as like honest as I want. But when we're in a room together and there's like you know, 40 other people in that room, I'm not going to put all of your shit on blast, you know? So this girl said something. It was kind of a throwaway line in the middle of other stuff, but she was like talking about, uh, I don't know, (laughs) talking about like the need to be vulnerable and open up and stuff. And she's like, yeah. And it's just like, I just can't open up because I'm a Scorpio rising and blah, blah, blah. And she kept going. And I was like, what? And obviously I wasn't going to call her out in the minute, but like you don't like, okay, I'll, I'll give other examples. Um, and this is like with human design also. Um, but like I have a friend whose dad said something like, yeah, I should have never had a family because I'm a projector and like, you know, projectors are supposed to rest a lot. So like, I just can't like provide for a family. I've heard a lot of people, again, with human design, people who have the four line in their profiles be like, well, I'm not going to get on a dating app because like I have the four line. So I'm supposed to like meet someone through community, like just these various ways that we are using these like tools like astrology, human design, et cetera, are intended to be tools. And we're then using them to limit ourselves. And listen, I fuck with astrology. I talk about astrology a lot other than astrocartography, which I am convinced is bullshit. Like there is nothing I've been more sure about in my entire life than that astrocartography is bullshit. Anyway, but regular astrology, I really fuck with. Again, I'm so sorry I take little pauses. It's just that the saliva is about to like explode out of my mouth. Okay. Anyway, um, I like I think that astrology can be really helpful. It can validate genuine interests that you have. Like, for example, I remember I when I was like getting more into astrology and self-work and doing shadow work and stuff, one thing that kept coming up for me was this desire to be seen 
But I was so in denial about it because growing up, like I was constantly fed the message that like wanting to be seen is not good. It's not a likable trait. Like you should be giving platforms to other people. You should be sharing the spotlight. You shouldn't want to have the spotlight. Now, if the spotlight accidentally lands on you, how great, but like you shouldn't want to have it. And so it was something that I was like deeply, deeply in denial about this like desire to be seen. And I remember I had a session with an astrologer who was like, you're a Leo rising, like so much of your soul, like desperately wants to be seen. I also like, there's something deeper than just Leo rising that I have. It has to do with like my MC or something. I really can't remember though. Anyway. Um, and it, I remember it just validating this thing where I was like, oh, okay. Thank God. Like, it's not like this icky or problematic thing. It's like literally a part of me that I have this desire. Or for example, like I just love, love, love like design, style, aesthetics, color combinations, layouts, like all this shit I fuck with so hard. And instead of like, like this trauma that I have around it of it being like vain or superficial or whatever, it's like such a, it's so deeply ingrained in me and like my Taurus son, et cetera. So I think they can be tools to validate you, but where I think it can be really harmful is where it helps you stay stuck in your fears, your insecurities, your shame, your limiting beliefs, like just justifying these things via astrology. Going back to the woman at the Showfields event, I would venture to guess that there are a lot of things that are keeping her from being vulnerable and opening up to people that are a lot deeper than her Scorpio rising. I'm guessing there's like rejection in her history, feelings of not being accepted, not being wanted, not, you know, validated the times that she did open up as a child. Like my guess is that this is actually unresolved trauma that's with her and it's not her astrology. So I just kind of want to rant about this because again, these are supposed to be tools to help us rather than like it's not nothing is ever a sentence that you can't escape from and this is actually an issue that I have with attachment theory I know I talk about attachment theory a lot I know it's kind of like the crux of my career right now and I think it can be so helpful but where I think it's problematic is that like I see this a lot on TikTok people being like I'm anxiously attached and that's just what it is. No, that's not just what it is. It's a manifestation of trauma and you can work through trauma and come out on the other side. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to be acting crazy forever because I'm anxiously attached. No, these are not like labels that we have to live with. None of them, even like the quote unquote downsides of your astrology, you should think of as like, Things that you should be working through that you can be working through. I shouldn't say should, but like things that you can be working through and come out on the other side. Nothing is ever a life sentence. Nothing ever. We have the power to change shit. Um, okay, moving right along. <laughs> um, speaking of astrology, I want to talk a little bit about the Chinese uh, New Year or the Lunar New Year. Um, as you may know, 10 people were shot uh, near a Lunar New Year celebration outside of LA. Um, try saying near a Lunar New Year 10 times in a row. Not that easy. Um, I'm going to start saying that shit instead of red leather, yellow leather before I start recording. 
Um, just an update on that. The gunman was found dead nearby. Um, I don't really have more facts on that, but you can Google it. I do want to talk a little bit about the Chinese New Year. So there's a lot of regional like variations on this, variations on customs, etc. So we're just going to do a very, very high level overview of this because I've never talked about it. It's something that happens every year. And, you know, we like to be inclusive of different types of cultures on the podcast. And, you know, if you are from some kind of culture that celebrates something, whatever it may be, and you want it shouted out on the podcast, hit a girl up. I will. I love the feeling. Like, I will never forget the first year that Google, you know how Google, remember back when we used to go on Google, like google.com? Like, no one does that, right? You just search in your search bar now, right? But like, remember historically, we used to go to google.com. And then enter things in the search bar in the middle of the page. Um, And Google would like kind of change its like homepage, I guess. Homepage, yeah. Um, Depending on various holidays. So like for Christmas, there would like maybe be a tree and a Santa hat or whatever. Anyway, I remember the first year that Google did something for the Persian New Year. And it made me feel so seen and so accepted. And so I want to pass that feeling forward. Or the first year that like the president acknowledged Persian New Year's. Oh my God, like the shit that that did to me. I believe it was Obama who did it first. Could be wrong, but I think it was Obama. Anyway, just just makes you feel something, just makes you feel a little tingly, you know? Um, So yeah, if there is some kind of cultural celebration that you want shouted out, hit a girl up and I will do it. So the Chinese New Year, or the I'm just going to call it the Lunar New Year's because like non-Chinese people celebrate it also. Um, It usually falls somewhere between late January to early February. The reason it moves around is because it's based on both the lunar and the Gregorian calendar. So it's both solar and lunar. Um, And I believe it falls on the second new moon after the winter solstice. So that's cool. Um, It's a 60-year cycle. So basically there are 12 animal signs and there are five elements. So in each element, we go through all 12 animals and then we go to another element. So right now we're the year of the rabbit, um, the water rabbit to be specific. So we're in the water element and the rabbit sign. Um, People born in the year of the rabbit are generally thought to be gentle, quick-witted, easygoing, um, though they are also said to be hesitant and timid. Um, other rabbit years were 2011, 1999, 1987, and 1975. So if you were born in one of those years, you are a rabbit sign. And um, the water element is considered to be the introspective artist element. It is calm, chill, and introspective. So those are things you can expect for this year. Um, again, rituals really, really vary regionally, but all of the reading and research I did, these uh, five things came up over and over again. Um, so there is like a ritual of like cleaning before the New Year's. Um, that's also true with the Persian New Year's. We do the same thing. Um, there's a lot of like being with family. And in fact, the largest human migration happens during Chinese New Year's because something people don't know if you haven't done a lot of like work with China is 
a lot of people live at the factories that they work out and work at in China. So you know, like China's manufacturing like everything that we use in the world. So there's a lot of like factory jobs and people generally are living at those factories. And once a year for Chinese New Year's, everyone leaves and travels all around the country to go see their family. So it is it's considered to be the greatest human migration and it played a massive role in COVID because if you remember COVID, like we started to see COVID end of 2019, but it was during Chinese New Year's beginning of 2020 that everyone was traveling to see their families that it left this one specific factory and spread around the entire country and then ended up spreading around the entire world, right? I mean, that that's, I don't know. That's the last of the information as I know it. Who knows? These things are updated constantly. Um, also, food plays a huge role. It's super, super regional. But some of the common things that I kept reading were, um, one, eating dumplings, and they symbolize prosperity, and then um, eating fish. And this is fascinating. So apparently, um, Mandarin is a homophonic language, which means that, I don't know. <laughs> Things sound like things. So they eat fish because the Mandarin word for fish also sounds like the Mandarin word for surplus. So they eat fish as a symbol of sur like having surplus. Um, another common ritual or practice is to hand out red envelopes of money, um, specifically to children and elders, but I think also to like all family members. You want to use clean, crisp bills. Um, amounts of money that like have eight are great. So like $8, $18, whatever. Um, you want to avoid um, amounts of money that have four in them because the word for four sounds like the word for death. And um, red is really common. I'm sure you've noticed that. And I think it symbolizes a lot of things. But um, a lot of what I read was to avoid bad luck. So there you go. Just a little overview of the Lunar New Year. Is that way, you know, if something comes up this week, you can talk about it. Because here's the thing with blush. Like you tune in, you learn a lot about my life that you probably didn't want to know about. You learn about health and wellness practices that actually would be really helpful to implement. You learn, um, you know, about your psyche, your mental health and how to improve it. And you also learn interesting little factoids that you can drop when you're at dinner parties, because I seem to think you guys are just constantly at dinner parties, but really maybe I'm acting on my own unresolved trauma of being in social situations and feeling like I have nothing to say, especially like the kind of awkward social situations where you're like, oh God, like someone say something, you know? So I'm helping y'all out. Okay. Um, speaking of wearing red to avoid bad luck, I read the study that I thought was fascinating, so I wanted to summarize it for you guys. Um, basically, there's a psychologist named Richard Wiseman, and he conducted a 10-year study of what makes people lucky, and he found that lucky people share four attributes. Now, I always say that I don't believe in luck. I just don't. I don't think there is luck. I think people make luck. And this study actually confirms that people make luck. And the good news here is if luck is created, 
that means that you can create it and you can increase your own luck. So the first attribute of lucky people is that they maximize opportunities. So um, there was a really good study that they did on this where they had people, and so they, they've kind of like divided people by lucky people and unlucky people, and then looked at how their behaviors were different. So they told all these people to count the number of photographs that were in a newspaper. And on average, it took the unlucky group two minutes to do this. It took the lucky group far less time because on page two of the newspaper, it somewhere it said, you don't need to keep counting. There are 43 photographs in this new newspaper. Now, the reason that the lucky group was able to see this is because they are constantly scanning for things, whereas unlucky people are too laser focused to be able to see opportunities and tools that will help them. Now, what the study found was that lucky people, quote unquote, got lucky by introducing variety into their lives. So they're literally training their brains to see opportunities. And some of the ways that they did this, I thought this was really interesting. One person said that um, he noticed that when he goes to parties, he would always like talk to the same two or three people or whatever. So instead, he implemented this role where he picks a color ahead of time. Let's say it's like red. And so at the party, he will approach every person wearing red, every person near a red thing, every person holding a red thing, which like if they have red solo cups at the party, could be a bit of a whatever hazard. I don't know. But that way, he would start talking to new people. Another person said that they would change the route that they drive to work constantly and therefore see different things constantly. How often have I talked about on this podcast changing the route that you take to work or somewhere that you go regularly? Here's the thing. The worst case scenario, if you're changing things up, is that you're releasing more dopamine. That's the context in which I've always talked about changing your route. It's to get that extra dopamine release. Best case scenario is that you are seeing new opportunities. So how do you implement this? My suggestion would be do one new thing every day. Find a new person to talk to. Uh, go to a new coffee shop, take a new route to work. I mean, things that you're doing every day, just switch it up, do one new thing every day. This is training your brain to see new things. And when you're open to these new things, that's how you find opportunities. This 10-year study shows. Number two, lucky people are intuitive. They listen to their guts. They trust themselves. Um, I, there are probably like hundreds of thousands of examples of people, quote unquote, getting lucky via listening to their, intu their intuitions. But two that really popped in my mind are one, I know this woman who, um, basically like she said that she got a text from a friend she hadn't talked to in years who was like, Hey, I'm having a bar barbecue on Sunday. Do you want to come? And she usually wouldn't go, but she just had this like massive intuitive hit to like go to this one barbecue. She went, she met her current partner there. They've been together for like 10 years. They have two kids together, you know? Um, 
Also, Ozzy said something interesting about this to me. So if you don't know Ozzy and my story, we matched on Bumble and for a year and a half didn't meet up. He would message me like randomly all the time, but like just like he would always be out of the country or something like it just never went anywhere. And then um, when I launched the podcast, I went through my text history. I sent the link to every single person I had been texting and then he responded. And then on Thanksgiving, he sent me like happy Thanksgiving and I was kind of drunk and I was like, do you want to get a drink this Sunday? And then that Sunday rolled around and I realized I had scheduled like three different dates with three different guys for the same time. But, you know, something in me, I was like, uh, I'm going to keep it with this guy because he seems the craziest and he would make for the best podcast stories. And we met up and I was obsessed with him, yada, yada. A lot happened after that also, but not relevant to this story. I remember at one point being like, why were you texting me? Like, it's just like, like he just would randomly text me like once a month and we text back and forth a couple of times and then nothing would ever come of it. And I was like, why were you like so persistent? And he's like, I don't know. I just always had a feeling. Another example of someone just like really trusting their intuition. Now, what they found in the study was that they found meditation to be extremely helpful to be able to like listen and uh, to your intuition and trust your intuition because intuition requires two things. It requires being present and it requires being clear headed and having a good meditation practice helps you with both of those prongs. So to implement the number two trait of lucky people I would suggest starting a meditation practice. And now if you don't have a current meditation practice, the way that I recommend starting this is starting by one minute a day for 60 seconds, just 60 seconds every single day. Close your eyes and just pay attention to your breath and um, count, like aim to take like, I don't know, fucking like a five count inhale, hold it in for like two, three counts, and then a seven count exhale or something like that. So that'll kind of keep your mind a little bit occupied. Do that every day. After a week, make it two minutes. After two weeks, make it three minutes. But just be really fucking consistent with it because like anyone can do anything for one minute and then anyone can do anything for an extra minute. And you just build it up like that. It doesn't have to be that extravagant. Just two minutes a day is scientifically proven to make you happier, make you more focused, make you more productive at your job and increase the happiness levels and efficiency of everyone around around you. So really, there's no reason not to do it. Okay. The third attribute of lucky people, they are optimistic. Um, if you believe you're capable of something, you're more, more likely to go for it. Um, they have self-fulfilling prophecies, essentially, of their capabilities. Now, I don't want you to confuse this with toxic positivity. I'm not saying, and I will never say that you should ignore the bad. I think you should see the bad. I think you should work through the bad, but you don't need to stay with the bad. And a really good example I have of this is some, this thing that I hear constantly. I started hearing it when I moved here. I still hear it to this day, only now I speak up about it. And it's people being like, well, dating in New York City. Like, it's like this really hard, arduous thing. And it's like the reason... The reason it's so bad, I think, is like, A, what the fuck are you talking about? There are like an unlimited number of people in the city. Like dating in New York City, it's like 
there's never been a bigger pool. What's the issue? And I understand like, oh, guys have Peter Pan syndrome, this, that, whatever. There's all sorts of things that you could say, but going into it with that mindset is like only going to set you up for failure. And I know this because every single person I know who has said this has had the worst luck with dating. And again, I don't think it's luck. I think they're creating it for themselves because they have that mindset. So if you do find yourself thinking something like this, I always advocate like, okay, dig into it. Where did you first hear this? None of us came out of the womb being like, oh, dating in New York City is so problematic. And I would venture to bet that it's less based on experiences you've actually had and a lot more based on hearing that phrase over and over again. And so you've implemented it. Now, how I think you can act on this third prong is actually completely different. I mean, definitely like dig into the negative things that you feel, but I've talked about this a lot before. I have a whole episode on it. If you want to go back, it's like a bit over a year ago or no, 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 a bit less than a year ago. It's like five scientifically proven ways to increase your happiness levels. But one of those five is a gratefulness practice. And specifically what you want to do is every night say three things that you're grateful for. But the key here is that they can't be the same three things. You want to do three new things. And so the trick that I use for this, by the way, I've not done gratefuls in a while and I'm going to get back to it. I'm going to get back to it. I'm going to try. You know what? I'm going to add it to my to-do list right now as we speak. Okay. Um, so when you say three new things that you're grateful for every day, oh, sorry, the trick to do this I focus on three things that I'm grateful for for from that day. So rather than doing kind of general generic things like, oh, my dog, my boyfriend, my health, whatever, I instead, I'm like, okay, what happened today that I can focus on? So I'll be like, okay, well, I'm grateful that um, the rain started at the very end of my walk with Sam so that it wasn't like absolute torture to take her outside, you know, shit like that. So, um, yeah, again, sorry for the pauses. I don't know what's going on with me and my saliva right now. It's really, it's, if it's annoying, you just know it's annoying me a hundred times more. (sighs) Okay. Anyway, um, what happens when you do this gratefulness practice, when you're scanning for the three things to be grateful for every night is you are literally training your brain to look for the good in life. So it's like any other muscle, like if you do fucking bicep curls every day, over time, your biceps are going to get stronger. If you do core work every day, I've been doing core work a little bit lately. And let me tell you, my abs have gotten so much stronger. Like once I master core strength, I shall be unstoppable (laughs) because I'll stop bumping into things all the time. Okay, anyway, um, let's just move right along from me. I am basically like, you know, those inflatable things outside of car dealerships that are just like flailing about. That's what I feel like all the fucking time, just like flailing through life. I have no stability. I have no control. And I mean that on a physical level and on an energetic level. But we're getting there. We're doing the abs. I'm getting stronger. I haven't bumped into furniture in a minute. And it's it's really only uphill from here. Um, but yeah, when you do that gratefulness practice, you're training your brain to look for the good in life. And studies show that low-level pessimists become optimists by day 21 of implementing a gratefulness practice. So there you go. And the fourth and last attribute of 
lucky people, according to the study, is that they are resilient. They transform bad luck into good by looking at things in a positive light. So they found that lucky people literally transform quote unquote bad events into good ones by thinking about what could have happened. So there's this experiment that they did with these two groups where they gave them a hypothetical scenario of like, okay, you went to the bank and while you're at the bank, like waiting, you know, for your banking to be done, um, as someone who doesn't go to the bank a whole lot, so I don't really know what goes on there, um, <laughs> you're waiting for your banking to be done. And um, some bank robbers come in. There's, you know, an old fashioned bank heist. They have guns and they shoot and you are hit in the arm. How do you view that event? The unlucky group, the group of people who in real life were unlucky, all found that event to be an unlucky event. They're like, you could have gone to the bank on another day. You could have gone to a different branch of the bank. I mean, how unlucky that you go to the bank on the one day that there's a bank heist and you get shot in the fucking arm, right? But the people in the lucky group all thought of this as a lucky event. They were like, oh my God. Like you could have been shot in the head. You could have been shot in the chest. You're shot in the arm. How fucking lucky is that? Plus, after this, you could write a book. You could sell your story. I mean, you might be on TV shows. I mean, the sky is the limit of how you could monetize this event. So, I mean, literally, like lucky people think of like, like, okay, well, at least this didn't happen. At least that didn't happen. And what are the silver linings here? I have a really good example of this. And there are so many examples of this. And really, COVID is the time to look for the examples of this. Because you could really see the people who were like using this in one way or another to their advantage versus the people who were like, the worst has happened and I hate it here. Just one of the many, many stories of this. I have a friend... Um, oh my God, her name literally just went out of my head, Julie, who has this brand called Well Insulated. And she makes these, um, they're like cosmetic bags that use NASA technology to insulate them. And um, they're like uh, moisture proof, they're heat proof, cold proof, and um, reflect light. And so the reason she made this is because, you know, we're moving more and more into clean beauty. And clean beauty products don't have a ton of like stabilizers and preservatives and things like that in them, which is what makes them clean. But as a result, they they don't last that long. Like they're not... and beauty products in general, medications, even electronics are not meant to be exposed to all of the elements like moisture, heat, extreme cold. These things are bad for our products and they make them go bad faster. Like leaving, especially you should not be leaving your clean beauty products on your bathroom counter. The moisture, the heat, the humidity, it's all really, really bad and products do go rancid and like like you either are then harming your skin or you're wasting money because you're throwing these full products away. Okay, I don't mean to be running like a full ad for her products, but they are really, really good bags. Anyway, so COVID hits and 
you know, COVID was a really hard time for all small businesses. I mean, she's like a one woman shop. Meanwhile, her bags are manufactured in China. So like COVID was hitting her well before it was hitting us. I mean, she was having supply chain issues. She was having all sorts of issues. Um, But here's what happened during COVID. People started caring a lot more about germs and her bags started to, her brand really took off during COVID because all of these makeup artists were buying like 15 at a time because it was the only bag they could really use because of all of the technology in it. It made it really easy to clean it. So they're constantly like with like a normal cloth bag, you can't use like alcohol to wipe down the bag because it's going to get inside the pores of the fiber. But this is a completely different material that you can constantly be disinfecting. So listen, like the pandemic for someone in her shoes from an unlucky perspective would be the unluckiest thing that could have happened. There were supply chain issues. There was less disposable income amongst people. People are losing their jobs. I mean, people don't care as much about fucking skin when there's a global fucking pandemic. Everyone's reaching for toilet paper and stuff. Like I remember that stage of the pandemic, but here's the lucky perspective of it. People have more time. Masks are causing skin issues. People care about germs and cleanliness literally more than ever. And people are on their phones more than ever. It's a prime time for advertising. She had that lucky view, that lucky mindset, and her brand really, really took off during the quote unquote unluckiest time imaginable. So if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, how can I implement this? Here's what I would say. When something bad, quote unquote, bad happens to you, ask yourself two questions. Number one, how could this have been worse? And number two, what are the silver linings? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So that's that. Here are the four ways that you also can increase your luck. Okay, moving right along to the actual topic I want to really dig into today, not to say that you haven't gotten a lot of value from the first 40 some minutes of this podcast. I want to talk about different ways that insecurities can show up and ways that you can work through them. Okay, so I noticed in my own life that My own and other people around me's insecurities were coming up a lot in five distinct ways. So I want to talk about these five ways, how you can identify them in yourself, which is really fucking hard. And then at the end, we're going to talk about how to work through insecurities. And if you're doing the Blush 2023 kickoff challenge, you already know about, you know, my kind of steps for working through it, although you don't know all of them yet because we're not done with the challenge, but we are kind of going through that step by step. So the first of the five ways that I've been noticing insecurities a lot lately is through overcompensating. And I have a story about this. 
<sighs> that I'm scared to share, but I'm going to share it because I've not talked about this for long enough and I'm going to explode if I don't talk about it. So there is a friend that I had in high school and um, she was always like, the nicest girl, like really sensitive girl, like probably the most negative thing I could say about her, honestly, was that she was really sensitive, which is not like a, like, that's not a negative. Like other than that, I have nothing but good things to say about her. The most loyal, genuine friend, like just an incredibly nice, kind, like cares about things, like cares about things in the least performative way humanly possible, like genuinely cares about all of these issues that we currently have on such a pedestal in our world. And we see people like act like they care about them so much, but she genuinely cares about every single one of these things. So like fucking like race stuff, um, you know, cares about minorities, cares about the environment, cares about um, animals, like all these things. Like she even went vegetarian for a hot second when we we're in high school, but then stopped because she gained weight. Um, but like she always was like, whereas I was this like curmudgeon-y, like didn't give a fuck about anything kind of person, which was my own insecurities playing out, which we'll get to in a minute. But like she always really, really cared and was like, just like, the 2023 pillar of what we always strive to be, she always was. Now, fast forward, um, like always like very progressive, very liberal, like just uh, like, and again, I can't overemphasize this because I was friends with her. Like I can speak to this, like it was not even 1% performative. And keep in mind, this was a different time. So like if you were performing in any way, it wouldn't be that way. It, like it was not performative at all. Like she genuinely always cared about all of these things. Now her and I are not friends anymore. Um, uh, it's hard to say why. I mean, I guess like we just grew apart. Um, there is like one incident that sticks out in my mind, which was like, oh, just the most awkward thing ever. And maybe I'll tell the story a different time, but like we don't have a ton of time and it's a long story and I'm like really nauseous and saliva is just like boiling out of my lips at every given second. So really not the time to tell the story, but it is, I will tell you like I'm the villain of the story. Like it's not, I don't know. It's it's a weird story and it's hard to explain, but like I'm the villain. Okay, let's just like get that out of the way. Like she has never done anything wrong. Like she's always been nothing but a really, really good friend to me. Like I have nothing negative to say about her. Wonderful, wonderful human being. So we're like friends on Instagram, right? And her entire social media presence, entire social media presence is doing things that are like notoriously like wealthy people shit. So it's like going to Aspen and um, eating a lot of caviar, a lot of caviar, a lot of fucking caviar. Like, I don't even understand. Like, I, we were friends for years and I was obsessed with caviar. Like, I'm Persian. Like, it's it's like in our DNA to like caviar. The best caviar in the world comes from Persian seas. Like, we eat caviar in my household all the time, not because like we're rich, but because it's just like a normal thing in Persian culture. 
Not once did I see this bitch eat caviar. Now, apparently, it's like all she eats, her entire diet is caviar. And when she's not eating caviar, she's eating other things that are like notoriously expensive. And I just want to like contrast like how progressive this girl was. And then the other day in her Instagram stories, she had written like, it was like, eat the rich. And it was like a flash of the bougiest food at like a bougie restaurant or something like that. And which is actually kind of funny. I will give her that. It is funny. But I've been trying to figure out like what the fuck is going on. And I don't know because I'm not in her life anymore. But if I were to just make a guess based on knowing human behavior is that like maybe she's overcompensating for like in high school feeling like a little bit like we went to a very rich high school like a very rich high school um it was a public school but like the kids were like really fucking rich like I remember girls wearing outfits where like the t-shirt was like $300 which is like a lot of fucking money for a t-shirt and then put it like what 20 years ago at this point almost and then add to that like we were fucking children like who pays that much money for a t-shirt for like a 15 year old child you know like we went to a rich high school and like her and I were like poor within that high school you know and that definitely makes you feel some kind of way so like I don't know is it like I don't know that like now she's I'm sure she's doing well and so She's a little more flashy with these things. I'm not entirely sure, but like, like if you were to tell me 20 years ago that like in 20 years, by the way, it's like not quite 20 years. I'm not sure why I'm like adamant on aging myself. 16 years, okay, 16 years, 15 years, something like that. Um, if you were if you were to have told me. 15, 14 years ago. I don't, 14 years ago. I don't, why am I doing this 14 years ago? I think um, that in 14 years, one of us would be like living in New York City, be fully vegan, be really into the environment, be really into like animal rights and, you know, progressive politics and like making everyone feel seen and included and wanted. And the other one of us would be living in DC and like constantly, constantly, constantly posting about the really expensive foods that we eat and have exclusively like the whitest friends that have ever walked the face of the earth. And like everyone's really waspy and doing really waspy things it would have been a no-brainer for me which of us would be which, and it's not the way it actually turned out. So it does, like, genuinely fascinate me how... And, like, listen, what she posts on Instagram, I'm sure, is only a tiny, tiny glimpse of her real life. I'm not saying, like, she's transformed as a human being. I can't envision that because, like, I've never known someone who is better, like, in terms of just, like, moral... I don't know, rightness, like more like she was she was Greta Thunberg. Why can't I say your name? That's how out of touch I am. OK, but she was Greta like she was Greta. So like I don't think all of those things have changed about her. And I don't think it's fair. The fact that she like posts a ton, a ton, a ton about eating caviar. I don't think that that's like a fair assumption to make that she's completely transformed. I'm sure that's not the case. I'm sure she still cares. I'm sure all these things are true. But we can't ignore the fact that her entire social media presence is like 
a constant show of the very expensive foods that she eats. To me, it reads as overcompensating for something. Um, another example of this, um, the comedian, right? My ex, the comedian who has a micro penis, he slept with so many girls. And he also would like talk to me a lot, not when him and I were dating, but like after him and I were broken up, but even in the early stages of him and I dating about like having commitment issues and like blah, blah, blah. And I always thought it was interesting because like he didn't have a very high sex drive. So I was like, what? Like, it's not like you need to be fucking a ton of girls. Like one girl could more than satisfy all of your sexual needs. But I think it's because he has so much insecurity around his micro penis that he overcompensates with being like more sexual. And I also think he actually probably has a lot of like subconscious insecurities about his low sex drive and stuff. And I think he overcompensates with that for that by all these other things. Um, I used to do this a ton, especially around like in high school and like college and even like early, oh my God, early after college days when I had first moved to DC, I thought it was going to be like such a different vibe than what it turned out to be. And I ended up having like no friends and I would constantly like brag about like going out and doing all this stuff that I wasn't actually doing. Like I was like straight lying. <laughs> But like, okay, even if one uh, one off, I was like going out and doing these crazy things, I would talk about it a lot because I was so insecure about like my lack of friends and social community that I was overcompensating for it, you know? So the question that I would ask myself to like determine if I'm overcompensating for something is like, what is your shtick? Like, is there kind of a shtick that you go with? Because if you have a bit of a shtick, I'm willing to bet that there is like some kind of insecurity below that. And I don't mean like as branding, right? Like I think you can brand yourself with certain shticks, but like, let's say like with the caviar girl, right? Like it's like definitely a shtick of hers now that she eats a fuck ton of caviar. I would be surprised if she's not overcompensating for something. Again, I don't know. I haven't been in her life. It's probably fucked up of me to make assumptions, but I'm using it as an example. Um, I... I had this a lot with like when I was first in health and wellness, like I felt like really inferior and different and like not white enough and not perfect enough. And so I feel like I leaned heavily into the wellness shtick, but it was like, just compensating for all of these insecurities that I was feeling. So I would ask myself, like, what's your shtick and see if there's anything below that? Okay. The second way that I see insecurity come up a lot is envy. And I just want to differentiate real quick because the third way is jealousy. So I'm just going to like speak to this right now. Envy and jealousy are colloquially used interchangeably, but they actually mean very different things. So envy is when you see someone else have something that you want. And jealousy is when you're afraid of losing something that you have. So an example of envy is like, Let's say like you're trying to make it as an actor and a friend of yours like gets a job, books a job and you get envious versus jealousy might be like you see your boyfriend talking to some chick and you get jealous because you're afraid of losing your boyfriend. Right. So I have one friend that I can think of in my adult life. And I have one friend in my child life. That's it. Just the two people that I can think of 
who have seem to not be happy for me when I've been doing well. So the friend in childhood, I may have talked about her before, but if there were like three of us that were friends and if me or the other girl like did better than her on an exam, she literally would stop talking to us, like literally would ignore us, like not say words back, literally stonewall us because we did better on a test than her. In my adult life, I've had a friend who I've been really close with the past few years, like really, really close with. And when I was really struggling, our friendship was great. But, you know, over the summer, I got on TikTok. I started posting on TikTok. I started doing well on TikTok. And as a direct result, this podcast grew a lot. And through that process, like when I was first on TikTok and my TikToks were getting like 200 views, she was super supportive. As soon as I started doing well on TikTok and then well on this podcast, she started pulling away from me. And now we haven't even talked in months. And like, could there be something else there? Sure. But I'm not one to be like, oh, someone's jealous of me. Someone's envious of me. Like, that's just not like a thought process that I ever have again out of like, hundreds of friends that I've had over the years. There are only two people that I would say this about. It does, like, I remember feeling like I had to hide success from her. Like, I, like, I felt bad that I was doing so well. And, um, yeah. And let's contrast that to, like, every single other friend that I have, but especially two that I just want to shout out. One is Stella, who has been on this podcast a lot, and one is my friend Maggie. And the three of us have a group chat, and the two of them are the biggest cheerleaders that I have. Like everything in my life that goes well, they let me talk about it as much as I want. And I'm sure sometimes it's annoying. They're so encouraging. And here's the biggest key they are happy for me, not just for me, but also. When something goes well in one of our lives, the rest of us take it as like inspiration and as like almost like reassurance, like, oh, well, if she can do it, I can do it too, you know? And I think that's what real security is. If you're a secure person, you're able to be happy for others and you're also able to see their success as an indicator that you can do it also. Another example I have of this in the podcasting industry. So last year or whatever, Alex Cooper from Call Her Daddy got that Spotify deal. I believe it was like 60 million for three years. And you could see how secure people were based, and I'm talking specifically in the podcasting industry, based on their reactions to that news. A lot of people were like, oh, the show isn't even that good. She's not that funny anymore or like this or that or whatever. Oh, well, I guess like if I was a hot blonde, I would have that too. Or, you know, if I talked about sucking dick, maybe I would have that too. Shit like that. And then there were the people that were like, holy shit, this is amazing news for the industry as a whole. A, brava to her. B, this elevates the entire podcasting space. So if you're wondering, am I an envious person? Is this maybe like, is this a type of insecurity that I carry? I would ask yourself, how do I react to other people around me doing well? 
and be really honest with yourself. Like it's, it's okay if you're envious, it's fine. And you can totally work through it and then use that envy as a motivator rather than as like this thing, right? But like, think about it. Like if you're single, when your friends get in relationships, do you get like a bit of like a, uh, like, you know, why is everyone finding love other than me? Or are you thinking like, okay, actually a good example of this I'm so sorry, Maggie, if I'm kind of blowing up your spot, but whatever. When Stella um, got a boyfriend, uh, she's like in a really great relationship with a really, really great guy now, right? Uh, she would talk about it. And I remember Maggie was always like, oh my God, I'm so like inspired and motivated by this because like we're close friends. And if you finally found love, then like I can find love too. You know, she would like took it as so like inspirational, motivational. And she loves hearing Stella talk about her boyfriend who we call Superman on the podcast because it just motivates her. Like she's happy for her. Okay. The third way that I've seen insecurities show up is jealousy. Um, again, jealousy is different from envy. So jealousy is like fear of losing something that you have. And now I do want to disclaim this. There is a difference between someone whose behavior is giving you a reason to pause versus it being your own baggage, right? So there are times where you experience jealousy in a relationship because the person is giving you reason to be jealous. Like they have suspect behavior. There are red flags left and right. Like you have reason to be jealous, but there are times where they really are not giving you a reason to be jealous. And I have an example of this. So I have a friend. Um, I'm coming up with a name. Uh, let's call her Tatiana. So Tatiana has a history of dating guys that she was not really that into. Like basically she, and I actually, I have a very similar history as Tatiana and I have like a similar thing as Tatiana, honestly. Um, but she would date guys basically who liked her. Like if a guy liked her and she'd be like, okay, well, he seems like a good enough guy, whatever we should date. Right. I think all of us have some kind of experience with this. Like, you know, when early elementary school, like you would just have your crushes, right. And they might be like unrequited and that was fine. But then at some point, once you get older, it's like you like people because they like you. That's just how it goes down, you know? Anyway, so she has a history of like being with these guys that she wasn't really into. And now she's with this woman who's like amazing and like so hot and so fun and whatever. And Tatiana is also so fucking amazing, right? And Tatiana's girl is not giving her any reason to like suspect her. Like she's loyal. She's faithful. She would never in a million years cheat. Never in a million years. Nevertheless, Tatiana constantly gets jealous. And I think that there's a lot at play, but basically Tatiana's used to dating people that she wasn't really into that were kind of like, quote unquote, safe for her to date because like she barely wanted them. So why would anyone else want them? But now she's dating someone who she really, really loves and is like really hot and desirable. And she understands that if she thinks she's really hot and desirable, then other people think that she's really hot and desirable. But what's happening is it's setting off the insecurities that Tatiana has about herself, about herself not being good enough, not being hot enough, and about not being this enough, about not being that enough, whatever it may be. It's setting off that deep insecurity, whereas like people in the past didn't set it off for her because like those people she didn't even really care about, you know? I had a similar thing when I was in the very, very early stages of dating Ozzy. 
I remember I was like so into him, like so into him. And he wasn't just a guy that I was like, like I dated a lot of guys like the German, right? Where I was like, this just is the type of guy I should date. He seems safe. He seems like a good guy, like whatever. Who cares that I'm not that into him? Maybe this is what safe, secure love is supposed to feel like. But with Ozzy, I was really, really into him. I thought he was so funny, so hot, just like so likable, like all of these things. And so... In the early stages, I was like, oh, my God, all of these other girls want him. What if I lose him? And like, ultimately, it was actually like my own insecurities of like me thinking that I'm not ultimately like the biggest one for me that was setting me off. I was like, I'm not cool enough for him. That's like the deepest insecurity that I had with regards to Ozzy. So the question I would ask myself to see if this is at play for you is, am I in constant fear of losing things that I currently have? See what comes up for you there. Okay. The fourth way that I see insecurities playing up is acting too cool for school. Now, this is an area where I used to live. I would say I didn't care about a guy. I would say like, oh, like I'm only into being casual, whatever. I would sometimes be like really hyper rational about things, like instead of just like leaning into feelings that I was feeling. Um, One good example I have of this is there was this guy um, when I was in high school, like I knew of him, like he kind of hung out in like Persian circles. So like when I was in high school, like the latter half of high school specifically, I was really into like Persian stuff. So like Persian club nights, like these Persian concerts and parties and shit like that. And there was like a very like Persian community in DC. And there were these two guys who were really, really tall. And there was one of them that I like always thought was like the hottest, coolest guy. And um, the summer before I went to college, so I just finished high school, I guess like we kind of knew each other socially. So um, one night I was having a party in my basement. I think I invited them. That must have been how it started. I can't remember. And then I ended up going on a few dates with that guy that summer. And I remember on like our second or third date, It was like during the day, he was like, oh, by the way, like, I'm really not looking for anything serious. And I remember after the date, I was hanging out with my friend and her mom, actually the caviar girl to bring it full circle. She was like, I cannot say enough good things about this girl. Like she was a really fucking good friend, really funny, really entertaining. Like I really, I have nothing but good things to say about her. I would love to know what's going on with the caviar thing because it is just, it just feels so out of character. But anyway, um, I was hanging out with her and her mom and I remember being like, like, it's so weird of him to like tell me he's not looking for anything serious on like the second date, like relax, like no one's talking about the future, blah, blah, blah. Like I was acting so like too cool for school because I was actually like so devastated and I didn't want to admit it. And so like, I would protect my own insecurities by like just acting like so like like I was such a player and like I didn't care about anything, blah, blah, blah. I think a really good example of this is actually Kristen on Laguna Beach. She's really open now about how she came off as really confident at the time. But in fact, she was like such an insecure little teen and like watching it with that lens, you can see it so clearly. Like she like projected as like such a player as such this, such that, but like really she was just this insecure child who's overcompensating for it. 
So the question I would ask myself here is, do I project an image of someone who is unaffected? Or do I project any sort of image that I'm like really tethered to? Okay, the last and final way that I see insecurities show up is by getting defensive. And I have another example from my own life of this, and um, I have a contrast to it. So after the comedian and I broke up, um, this was like months later, months, because it took months for me to even like accept that it was over. Right. And then I accepted that it was over. And really, I think like when I, once I accepted that it was over, I just tried to convince myself that I was like over it, but it was two different things. Like I had just gotten to the first stage of grief. Like I had just gotten through the first stage of grief, I mean, which is denial. Right. So it took me like three months to get through the denial stage, but I still had all the other stages of grief to work through. But in my mind, like once I'd accepted that it was over, like I had reached acceptance, which isn't true. Like I still had anger or depression, you know, all those other stages to go through. But I was like deeply, deeply in denial over it, like over like the fact that I wasn't over it. And I remember I was talking to my brother about how, you know, he was dating this new girl and it seemed like they were always having so much fun together and like blah, 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 and being so goofy and silly. And I thought it was like really unfair that he got to move on so quickly, whereas I didn't, given the fact that like he is the one who wanted it to be over. And I remember my brother was like, it sounds like maybe you're not over the comedian. And I got so fucking defensive about it. And At the end of the day, like I had a lot of insecurities at play. One was like being insecure over how long it was taking me to get over this when he had seemingly moved on so quickly. B, it was like all the insecurities that the breakup itself brought up for me of like not being good enough, funny enough, smart enough, uh, not smart enough. That's that's actually not really been an insecurity that has been hugely at play for me, (laughs) but maybe it should. Um, But like, you know, whatever, Uh, not hot enough, not this enough, not white enough, not whatever enough, you know? Um, so like I got really defensive about that. Right. And contrast a few months ago, maybe like a month or two ago, I don't know. I put up a TikTok that was like something. Some, I put up TikToks from time to time that refer to the comedian because it was a hugely educational relationship for me. And the comparison between like where I was with the comedian, whereas like where I am now with Ozzy is so palpable and such a good measure of like how much inner work I've done. So I put up some kind of uh, TikTok that referred to him. I don't remember specifically what it said, but there were a bunch of negative comments that were like accusing me of like not being over him, which is like laughable because like if there's one thing in life that I'm certain of, it's that I'm over the comedian. Now I am, you know, but like it didn't trigger me then because like I knew I was over the comedian. Like it wasn't like it was just like a laughable thing to accuse me of because I knew I was over him. So what I would ask here is like, what would be the worst thing someone could say to you right now? Because that'll point to some kind of insecurity that you have, and it'll definitely point to an area where you're holding shame. So how I would work through these insecurities, got this episode is running really long, is number one, tune into those triggers, like what I was just talking about. And if it hits, that's where you dig. So I always say this, if someone were to accuse you of like being a serial killer, 
you wouldn't be triggered. You wouldn't be defensive. Like you wouldn't feel any sort of way because it's such an absurd accusation. I mean, hopefully, good God, you know, (laughs) if not, please see therapy because... Yeah. Um, but like, you know what I mean? It would just be like this laughable, insane thing. You would never be like, oh my God, I can't believe this person accused me of being serial killer. Like how outlandish. I'm obviously not a serial killer. You would never even feel the need to say those things because you know that you're not a serial killer. You're not even close to being a serial killer. But if someone like says something to you that triggers something deeper where you're like getting really defensive, like if you're getting really, you know, if you're having some sort of reaction towards it and you can't fake these things, you have to be honest with yourself. That's where I would do digging. And like, I remember when I was at the end of college, I worked in policy and I narrated this video about tax policy. And I remember like it like got kind of big on YouTube. And I remember I'd read the comments and like people who were coming at me for my looks, like it cut me so deep because I was so insecure. Whereas um, recently on TikTok, I posted a TikTok about the comedian actually, which was kind of mean and it was kind of snarky, but like whatever. Um, I'll just tell you what it was. So it was like that sound. It was like a trend of that sound where it's like, that song, fuck, I don't remember who sings it, but it's like, I remember when, I remember when I lost my mind. Na, 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 um, Okay, I'm not going to sing more of it because I'm not about to pay a licensing fee for it, but you know that song. And then it's like people talking about like times where they had like lost their minds. So I put up this TikTok that was like, oh, I remember when I literally for months begged to get back together with my ex who had a micropenis and literal narcissistic personality disorder. And a lot of men, a lot of men were super, super, super triggered by this. And I've been called some of the most awful things humanly imaginable in the comment section of this TikTok. Now, I think this is an area where you see insecurities play out, actually, because There are some men who are making really funny jokes in the comment section, and those are the men who I would say are secure about their penises. And then there are other men who are like really coming at me for my looks or like 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 talking about how my vagina must be this like wide gaping hole or things like that. I mean, just like really, really like the nastiest forms of men are in that comment section. Um But there were a lot of comments coming from my look saying like how I'm so ugly or like whatever, which like is fine. Um, And I noticed like none of those have been triggering me because like it's not hitting at anything because I've done so much inner work around my look specifically. Um, I love one my favorite comment maybe that I've gotten so far was maybe he didn't want a bug-eyed schizo with a twitch. Now, I love this comment. Um, Number one, I just want to say I have asked my therapist many, many times and he is adamant that I'm not schizophrenic. So that's just false. Bug-eyed? I see it. I see it. I do have very large eyes. I see it. I get it. Sure. Let's let that one roll. With a twitch? I just don't have a Twitch. Like, I have no idea what he's talking about because I literally, I don't have a Twitch that I'm aware of. I don't know. Maybe I do have a Twitch. Who knows? But I'm not aware of having a Twitch. So it's just kind of a laughable comment. Again, Bug Eye does kind of hit, but like, 
I don't care. Like, I don't really care about being bug-eyed. Like, that's just not one that bothers me. There was someone who commented on my eyebrows and lashes, and I was like, okay, but, like, I objectively have stunning eyebrows and lashes. Like, literally, people think that I get them done constantly, so, like, that's just false. That's just objectively false, but okay. Um, but anyway... Going back to the looks thing, I'm going to take that as an example because that's an area where I, I'm not saying like I'm so secure in my looks now at all, but it's an area where I noticed a massive difference in my security levels based on these two incidents, right? The YouTube comments from like 10 years ago versus um, these TikTok comments coming from my looks and how it's like not really affecting me. So basically, like I think that there are like three broad steps once you identify an insecurity. And I think tuning into the triggers is how you can identify the insecurity. But the first step is to reprocess like the childhood wounds. So like basically work through the trauma. So you want to figure out the root of where this insecurity comes from and then do trauma reprocessing work. So for me, like being insecure about my looks, there are like hundreds of thousands of times that I can think of from my childhood where people commented on my looks. Um, one that's kind of top of mind when I was 11 and I'd first moved to the US, like I was a very insecure child. I really had no idea how to behave. I would look at like movies and TV shows and like look at like the pretty girls in the movies and TV shows and be like, okay, how are they behaving? I will emulate that behavior. And so... <laughs> I remember I'd brush my hair a lot, not because like I particularly gave a shit about my hair or brushing my hair, but because I must have seen like a girl on a TV show brush her hair who looked pretty. And I was like, okay, pretty girls brush their hair a lot. So that's something I'll do. So I was on the school bus, like whatever, like having this shtick of brushing my hair to bring it full circle. And I remember this guy who I thought was really cute. He was a really cute boy um, who lived like on my street and like you know, knew me well enough to know that I was like brushing my hair a lot again for whatever fucking reason. He says to me, deadpan, he wasn't trying to be mean. He was genuinely curious. He goes, why do you brush your hair so much? Like, why do you care so much about your hair when you're so ugly anyway? Like, who cares? And again, I cannot overemphasize that this child was not intending to be mean to me. He was he was genuinely curious. He was just asking a question, very matter-of-factly, like, I'm so ugly, like, why even bother with the hair, you know? <laughs> like, it's funny now, but like, as an 11-year-old, that was like so fucking traumatizing, right? So I sat and I like identified all of these like traumatic moments where like people called me ugly and listen, I was not a looker as a child. They were not wrong. I was not a cute. And I used like trauma reprocessing tools to work through those. Now you can use whatever you want. I always advocate for EMDR and somatic therapy. If you're in the Blush Academy, the guided meditations within the Blush Academy use tools from somatic therapy and EMDR to like really work through these triggering memories. Phase two is reimagining a new childhood, a new background where you had the foundation to not cause this insecurity. So continuing on the same example of like my looks, I then go in and I do basically like inner child work where I reimagine a childhood where I was really, really beautiful and everyone would like admire my beauty and like comment on how beautiful I was. Again, this was not my childhood. I was not a cute kid. People were not talking about how attractive I was ever. So 
again, I've talked about this a lot, but studies show that when you visualize something, especially if you're in kind of like a deep hypnotic state, like a theta brainwave kind of state, your brain experiences it as though it's actually happening. So when you visualize something in repetition, you're building new neural pathways as though this thing actually happened. So I use um, the Blush Academy guided meditations for this. And when I'm in that deep like brain theta brainwave state, which the guided meditations, like the first like 10 to 10 minutes really of the guided meditations is really just helping you sink into that theta brainwave state where you're almost like asleep or you're like just awake. And then it prompts you to visualize these things, right? So I visualize a childhood where like people were constantly coming up to my parents and being like, oh my God, your daughter's so beautiful. Like she's so beautiful, blah, blah, blah. Like people were constantly commenting on my looks. I was so like stunning and everyone thought I was so beautiful, right? So that kind of like imprints in my brain the type of security that someone who did grow up really conventionally beautiful would have. And then the third phase, which I think is like almost opposite in a weird way, is integrating having this insecurity and also being loved for this. So continuing on my same example, I might go in and then envision a childhood where there were a lot of people who were not conventionally attractive and were really, really loved and looks weren't even a thing. And the reason we want to hit it from both of these angles is like, A, you want to like create the brain of someone who like never even had to experience this insecurity, who like is so opposite of it. But then you also want to create neural pathways of like, it's okay to have this thing. Like you can still be loved and adored while having this insecurity. Um, It just, it makes it okay to not have the thing that you're insecure about. It removes the shame. So that's kind of my three-pronged approach. And I'm really simplifying it here because each of these prongs take time and they take repetition. Consistency is key here. And um, if you want like hand-holding or if you want the way that I do it, it's all within the Blush Academy. It's basically what we're doing in the 2023 kickoff challenge, although there is a lot more in the beginning and end of the 23. 2023 kickoff challenge that we're not doing here. But yeah, it's that's kind of how you work through an insecurity. You have to hit it very consistently. It's not a one-time thing. Now, I will say the opposite of insecurity kind of is like confidence. And there are there's a lot of like, if you look up like, oh, how to be more confident or whatever, there are like physical attributes to confidence, right? There's like people who will hold eye contact are confident, people of good posture, people who hold their heads high, um, people who take up physical space and their postures are deemed to be confident. Um, funny story about this. I had a friend whose husband watched this TED talk on the Superman pose, which is basically like you have your legs spread and your arms spread, you're taking up as much space as possible. How not? how if you hold the Superman pose for a few minutes, you then present more confidently. And he was in business school. And when he was doing all his business school interviews, he would go in the bathroom between before each interview and hold the Superman pose for like two minutes and then show up to his interviews. Now, I don't think the Superman pose is like a substitute for doing that deeper inner work, that three-pronged approach that I just talked about, because that's what's actually going to help you work through those insecurities on a, like a deeper, a subconscious level so that they're not even coming up. 
But I always think like these like physical action steps, like the Superman pose, whatever, like, you know, practicing good posture, practicing holding eye contact, et cetera, are always nice compliments because it's never one or the other. It's always everything together. Okay, that's it for us. I know I rambled for a really fucking long time. Um, thank you for sticking through it with me. I'm going to go try to not vomit now. Um, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me again. Um, but here we are. Per usual, thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. You know the drill. I know it's annoying, but it helps so much. Um, I also, I get a lot of messages of people who don't know how to rate and review. So here's what you do. You, when you open, um, this is on the like iPod, iTunes, whatever. What is the app called? Podcasts app on Apple. So if you open like the blush feed on Apple, right? So you open the show and it's like listing the episodes. You scroll all the way down and then you'll get a section that's ratings and reviews. And if you're in the US, not to brag, it says five out of five. If you're not in the US, I believe it is not five out of five. <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, but you'll see like the outline of five stars. So you just tap the star all the way on the right to leave five stars. And then you'll see like one review. And right underneath that one review, there's it says write a review with a symbol on the left that's for writing, right? It's like the square with the pen in it or the pencil in it, whatever. You tap that, you write a review. Um, yeah, that's it. You get the drift. You get the drill. I still don't know which of these are correct. I think they're both correct in different circumstances. And I don't know which is which, but that's how you leave a review. Please leave a review. It's different on Spotify. You can only leave a review on Spotify if you've listened to an episode or two, which I think is such a good policy. But either way, wherever you're listening, rate, review, subscribe, share the episode with people who you think would take something from it. Um, you know, it's via your support and sharing and all those things that the show grows. So please do it. Love you guys. Talk next week. 